Thanks for joining us for Season 7 of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders at Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. And thanks for that introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. And together, we are the personalities behind branded strategic hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, food service, technology, innovation, and capital. Jimmy, I'm waiting to add a couple more lines there. What need more. Many more lines. I mean, I feel like we should add podcasters in there. We got any more stuff there. We had a great show today, Jimmy. This is this yes, is a big do. one. I know I said last week I think it was the best show we'll ever have, but I'm being serious. I think this week could be, is this the last episode of season seven or is there more to come? We'd have, have to check with our, I, 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 you know what? I don't know the answer. This could be the last episode of season seven. And if it is, what a big time finish. Oh, actually our producer just chimed producer in. just said, oh. no, there's, I think there's another one. Anyway, it's a great way. So it's not the finale, but it's, it's coming there. Listen, Jimmy, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to talk to you about something that's been bothering me all, all yesterday. I, you oh, know, I drove, I drove my youngest little Sammy. Uh, up to camp, up to the Berkshires yesterday. As as you know, my the signal was terrible. I was on calls. It was frustrating. Uh, up to Camp Lennox, he's a uh, a counselor there now, so it's uh, year ten for him up there. And, and and though I was so excited to drop off at camp, I couldn't stop thinking about one thing, Jimmy. There was one thing on my mind when I'm at the Berkshires, dropping my son off for camp. You know what it was? Yeah. Why did you send your kid to Brant Lake Camp instead? No, Jimmy, oh, come on, Camp Lennox rocks it out. You know I went to Camp Lennox. You know, we, by the way, we beat Brant Lake all the time, and let's not get into that right now. I will say that for another episode. We'll do a camp edition. I'm thinking when I'm dropping him off, Jillian's like, hug Sam, hug Sam. You're not going to see him for seven weeks. All I'm thinking about is the branded marketplace. How do operators find the best solutions, the best technology, the best innovation? How do they do it? they got to go to the branded marketplace. That's what I'm thinking about, Jimmy. I'm dropping my son to camp for seven weeks, and I'm thinking about the marketplace. Crazy, right? You work 24-7. It's amazing. 24-7. And i got to tell you, if you have a solution for, for restaurants, for hospitality, just let me know. Marketplace at brandedstrategic.com, and we'll get you onboarded right away. And if you're an operator and you're looking for a solution to help your operation, you got to go check out the branded marketplace. And Jimmy, do you know what the greatest thing is? About the marketplace? That, that it's very expensive. We do really well. Well, I wish it was expensive. Jimmy. <laughs> I wish it. Jimmy, it's free. It costs free. nothing for anybody. How do we make money, oh. Shatsy? Jimmy, we make it up in volume. You are oh, the finance right. guy. You said, Shats, you get a thousand companies on this marketplace. I promise you will make money. That's what you told me. So yeah. I'm waiting for you. Jimmy, we volume. had a great show. Let's stop boring our guest. He's yes. got to go. He's a busy guy. Let's go. All right. And, and as usual, that's that shameless self-promotion of the Brandon Marketplace was sponsored by your favorite bail bondsman, Chico's. You need a bail bond. Chico's bail bonds is your way to go. get a real sponsor, Jimmy. Yeah, <laughs> or at I least like a paying Chico's. sponsor. I like Chico's and so far the Bad News Bears has never sent me a cease and desist. All right. Let, let's get into all the action. <laughs> we have a very, very special episode today. Our guest is our friend, Mr. John Davey, CEO and owner of the Buyer's Edge platform. You know, I always like to say it is easier for us to brag and boast about others than anyone could ever do themselves. So while our guest, I think, needs no introduction, I want to share that John was just a finalist from the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and his company, and I proudly say this, has made the Inc. 5000 list three 
consecutive years. So this is a talk a about guest. talk about companies that are helping operators, Jimmy. Yes, yes. This is. I think we we're excited to finally get John on the on the podcast because our theme, our thesis, is to be an ally to the industry, and John has built a company, a platform that does that. So, uh, John, despite our banter as we kick into the episode with you, uh, we'd like you to take the lead, give a little introduction on yourself, your background, and of course, uh, the elevator pitch on the Buyer's Edge platform. Great. Thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate the invite to the podcast. Excited uh, to, to be here and great, talk to guys. Great radio voice already, John. <laughs> That's the fancy headset that I've, I've first time I've ever worn it. So uh, I do. I sound like a radio personality. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, I started a company called Dining Alliance 25 years ago. I was just out of college, 20 years old, and uh Started Dining Alliance to help the small, independent, local, family-owned mom-and-pop restaurant uh, get some of the same advantages as the uh, large chains. Back then, you know, Olive Garden, TJ Fridays, and them were, were all the rage, and, and it was a scary time for the small local guy because the chains were just growing leaps and bounds, and uh, uh, and uh, the small guys just couldn't compete for real estate, technology, and software, and buying power, and everything. So. Uh, we jumped in and started bringing small restaurants uh, together to band together and negotiate contracts. And um, we did that pretty successfully, uh, but it took a long time. But one of the big th takeaways was uh, technology and data and software were just completely lacking for the small guys. Um, you know, just basic stuff about what they were actually buying uh, and how it compared to what other local restaurants are buying was really difficult to get your hands around. The data was extremely dirty. Um, and uh, so we had spent a lot of time and years sort of cleaning data, food service data, normalizing it so that we could take action on it and deliver price savings, rebate savings, uh, leverage that collective buying power and data to get them on an even playing field uh, with some of the biggest uh, national chains in, in the country. And uh, that's now evolved to the Buyer's Edge platform, which is, we call it a digital procurement network that we leverage over 20 billion in collective uh, food spend uh, to deliver- Did you say uh, billion with a B? <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. Yep. Give me, give me one of those, Jimmy. Yeah, well, by the way, when we start diving into the Buyer's Edge platform numbers in a little bit, uh, it's gonna, Chatsy is gonna blow you and our listeners away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yep. interesting, John. I, it's interesting. I just want to add, I got to tell you, it's, you know, in the business and, and you know, uh, we've been operators for a long time. It's always funny. It's the little guy seems to, uh, it doesn't get the good deal, right? I have one store and, uh, you know, and who I'm buying from, I'm not going to pick on any vendors. I'm not going to pick on any brands, but let's just say Coca-Cola and I'm going to buy bag in the boxes from Coca-Cola. I'm going to pay, you know, the top price for that bag in the box. But if I have 50 stores, Coke's going to give me a deal. And it's funny. It's like the guy that has the one store, he's the guy that actually needs the deal, and he doesn't get the deal. And the guy who has 50 stores, he really doesn't need the deal as much. It's always funny. But yep. I didn't want to cut you off, but I wanted to tell, I wanted to just take a deeper dive into Buyer's Edge. Because, listen, uh, I, I mean, you got into this business. I think we were in, the, in, in an Uber going to the NRA, and you were telling me a little bit about your dad and how you guys got started. But you, you didn't tell me this, but it was interesting that when we did a little due diligence, a little research, we talked about how um, you know this is a group purchasing organization. A GPO is the uh, is the is the is the term everybody uses. And a little a little deeper dive is 
uh, was your family in the doing this in the plumbing in the plumbing sector? You were doing group purchasing for the plumbing industry, and and your dad encouraged you to start your own GPO. I don't know. He didn't want you involved in his business or something like that. Who knows why? But I'm all kidding aside. <laughs> all kidding aside. And you started looking into uh, where you can do maybe a sneaker business. It was going to be car stereo business, but you landed on food. Can you give us a little bit? How, how'd you come from the plumbing GPO? And, and, and you thought about sneakers and stereos, and then you got into food. And, and, and I think there's, a, there's an interesting story about Coke and Pepsi here. <laughs> yeah. So first off, my dad was, was very good at buying lots of toilets uh, in volume <laughs> uh, back when I was a little kid. Um, so, yeah, he created the first plumbing electrical uh, GPO or a buying group for small distributors selling, selling plumbing and electrical uh, supplies. So that was uh, – first part of the family that got into this type of business. Then uh, he evolved into um, uh, a office supply buying group where he was bringing small independent office supply retailers together to compete with Staples and Office Max. And so that's where he kind of really gained a love for the small guy, the small operator, small business and bringing them together to compete with the big guys back when, you know, Staples and Office Max were all, all the rage and superstores and this little guy was going out of business and, and uh, he helped them uh, survive. And so he would always talk to me about business and what he was doing. And I was always very interested in it. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he taught a lot of good lessons to me growing up about helping the little guy and you bring enough little guys together that can amount to, to, to a big, big numbers. And you, you don't need to make a lot uh, on each customer. You just make uh, a little bit uh, on many and it can be a really big business. He was always say, I don't need the whole log. I just need the sawdust uh, of, of the logs to, you know, to, to, to Jimmy, you got to take that line, Jimmy. I haven't heard you use that one yet. Uh, I, I will take it, but I will give attribution to Mr. Davies. Yes, of course. Mr. Davies I like that. Credit to Clifford Davy. Clifford Davy, There it is. Um, Clifford Davy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so then, um, you know, he sold his stake in the office supply, uh, business, uh, right as I was graduating, uh, college and, um, we, uh, I always knew we wanted to start a business together and I coming out of college where it's like, you know, very um, PowerPoint driven and research driven, you know, you train that in business school. So I, my dad kept saying, I think we should just bring restaurants together. And I kept saying, no, no, hold on, dad. We, we got to look at everything. We got, we got to look at, don't, we're not just going to jump into restaurants. Let's do, <laughs> let's look at sneakers, business, sporting goods. Let's look at car stereo businesses. And I, I started did this, I spent, you know, two months creating this amazing research paper and PowerPoint and everything coming out of business school. And finally came back to my dad. I'm like, you're totally right. There's just a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, I'm, by the way, I'm glad you didn't go to car stereos. Cause yeah. I got to tell you, I mean, that was a good business, but I think that business is all but gone. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that was right. And, uh, I didn't need to spend three months, uh, doing all that work. I probably should just listen to him. So <laughs> yeah, that's and, always right. Right. Isn't yeah. that always right? Exactly. I got to tell yeah. you the, the older I get, uh, the smarter my dad is getting, um, yeah. no question. Uh, I'm learning yeah. how, how much, uh, insights and intel it was there. Listen, I love the story. It's it's a great one. Um, so Shatsy, get ready uh, to have your mind blown. Today, the Buyer's Edge platform has over 100,000 restaurant locations. They process around 20 billion in product volume. They are aligned with 350 manufacturers and have over 165,000 line items. The numbers speak for themselves. Um, but what I know from speaking with several of your employees is that despite the size 
of your business. And with over 700 employees, Chats, you and I, are, we're managing like 12. Um, but, but John, you still manage to keep a small family business feel. And, and when I saw you and your team out uh, at the NRA. It's got a lot of family members working yeah, but, with them. But, the, but it was yeah. the function at your booth. The, there was such a, a family feel. What is your secret sauce here? Because it really is amazing uh, the pride they all feel in working for the Buyer's Edge platform. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, it is definitely a sense of pride that we've been able to uh, build a high growth, you know, technology company uh, that's 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 growing and profitable and doing a lot of big things. But but uh, been able to keep that that family atmosphere. You know, a lot of times, typically, family businesses are not necessarily known as high growth technology oriented entities and and just kind of eventually sell out to the big guy or run into some family drama, you know, that can that can, you know, really cripple a family business. So you see a lot of family business horror stories out there, good businesses. Yeah, usually get. usually boys down to money and greed, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we're really fortunate that that we, we don't have any of that in in the Davy family at all. My two my my father's still on the board. Um and and still active from a, just a strategic perspective and everything else. My two sisters, my older and younger sister, uh, you know, carry executive uh, titles uh, with with the company. And uh, we have my brother-in-law, who's the chief of staff of the company. We have cousins and um, friends and and just a lot of people that that uh, we've known either family or known forever that are part of the company. And it's you know we don't uh, does not we don't have an issue with nepotism and uh, everybody has an opportunity where you don't have to have a Davy name to have an, a big opportunity in this company. And there's a lot of people doing very well that aren't family members, but uh, we don't shy away from the, the family side. And, and I think it, it's what helps us kind of care more about our employees and gives our employees a deeper sense of attachment, you know, to the company that we're just not some large uh, corporate bureaucratic, uh, you know, company that uh, we're doing this for the long run. And I'm planning to run the company and the family's gonna be running the company for, you know, decades, decades to come. And I think that uh, is something that uh, the employees feel a sense of excitement about and attachment to and, and uh, uh, we build off that and uh, they're all all of our employees uh, feel part of the family and we welcome them in and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, no, I got to tell you, it's awesome. And uh, I think Jimmy alluded earlier, we had the pleasure of uh, going to one of your events in Chicago, uh, throwing some darts around. Yep. And you really saw it. I mean, yeah, I, I know there were a lot of customers there as well. But you, but there are, I mean, a lot of your team was there. And I, I, I got to meet a lot of them. And you saw there was just, to Jimmy's point, it really did feel like a, a small family business, even though it's, 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 it's uh, $20 billion in volume. It's nothing but a, it's not certainly not a small family business, but it felt that way. But let me change gears a little bit because you keep mentioning technology. You keep saying technology, technology, or technology platform. And generally, when you talk about uh, GPOs and group purchasing organizations, you don't really think about technology. It doesn't really come to mind that it's a technology company. But, but you guys have built some really cool software and some really cool machine learning, artificial intelligence and the like to, to now um, to, to team up uh, what, what customers want with what they need and who has the best pricing and the best available product to fit them. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what technology you're using and how it works and how restaurants use it to save money? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You're saving operators a ton of money. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. That and that's where it started is save save operators money, get them the best pricing, get them uh, rebates back, get them that same type of contracts that your mega chains had. So we've never lost sight of that. But what we've developed over all these years is a tremendous amount of software that we bundle um, with the core offering of, of, of price savings and rebate savings. Now they get a tremendous amount of software and 90% of it is at no cost uh, to the operator. We have some very big enterprise level systems that there might be a SaaS fee for uh, typically large casinos, large chains, but your average independent restaurant pays nothing for any of the technology. So there's a whole bunch of it, but some of the key ones is that they can get a no cost inventory management, recipe costing, uh, food cost management system, um, uh, and, and get rebate checks back from us. So they don't pay anything in and they actually get money back from us on the 165,000 line items that we have. Hey, uh, Jimmy, that sounds like a marketplace. How do you make money? Hey, we got to follow Mr. Tavy's please. It's, it's free, yeah. and, they're, and they're giving rebates? They're giving money? Yes. Hey, Jimmy, it sounds like John's got the same business as us. I think I got the idea. We're going to follow. He's laying the tracks. We're just going to ride along. <laughs> we're going to talk to him offline, Jimmy. We're doing something wrong here. <laughs> Taking a long time, 25 years to build it. But uh, yeah, it's a magical thing where we're really, it's funded from uh, the suppliers. So Tyson, Unilever, Georgia Pacific, Pactive, um, McCain French Fries, Michael's Eggs, they want to help these independent restaurants as well and chain restaurants. They want to offer contract pricing. They want more people obviously to buy their branded products uh, the brand name manufacturers uh, sort of like brand did they they want to sell more they they do want to compete with the distributors private label so they fund this and so we keep a portion of the rebates as an administrative fee and we pass on the rebates to the operators so that's how the restaurant operator does not have to pay anything to join and obviously we are generating revenue and and we are we are uh, you know are profitable but we're passing uh, a big chunk of the savings and the rebates back to the operator and it's not costing them anything. And then we throw in all this software uh, on top so that they can run a much more efficient operation. Again, helping the, the small guy, the medium sized guy have the same both buying power, but also software and technology as the big guys. I love it. Awesome. Yep. Nope. Shatsy, I'm telling you, this is going to, this is going to help us immensely um, in what we're trying to accomplish as well. Uh, John, across the industry, and I'll, I'm kind of dovetailing off what you just uh, described it in terms of the software you built and you, and you really give to your, your, your clients, your customers and, and your, your ecosystem. But across the industry, you know, we see a pattern of companies that either, you know, like to build their own innovation solutions, as you described above, um, and others who, let's say, just want to uh, buy or acquire existing solutions. I often find, you know, the middle ground, the hybrid of, of a little bit of both is is often where the, the masses play. But but what side are you on? You have to build it, the buy it, um, you know, or, or, or how do you look at these opportunities? Yeah. Well, I think the the key thing is we, we build a lot, but we do buy a lot. But the stuff that we're buying is not usually uh, customer facing and is not usually the core part of, of our software solution. So we use like salesforce.com for our CRM, for our backend, because they're they're very good at it. They know how to man. They, so you they, will not be buying salesforce.com. I will not be not buying using, them. Right. <laughs> okay, so you're not <laughs> buying, Salesforce is off. Okay. Right. <laughs> for acquiring the company, but we, we pay them a fat licensing fee, yes, to be our CRM. Um, no sense in building a CRM when, when there's plenty to offer, and it's not our core 
we're not offering CRMs to restaurants, right? We're offering very unique, custom tailored uh, software that's very specific to the food service and restaurant industry. And that's why we build that that technology and solutions all from scratch. And uh, the stuff that's more uh, benign and, and sort of applies to you know every type of industry and is more on the back end of our system can be uh, stuff that we would purchase. Well, listen, that's awesome. And uh, I look forward to the announcement of you guys buying Salesforce. That is just going to be crazy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, uh, we've got some breaking news, Jimmy. You know we love having breaking news on the podcast. And we I, I feel like we are like, we are really probably the, one of the top news agencies in the world today because each Tuesday we break another story that's uh, – I don't know how we do it. But <laughs> breaking news, here it is. What can you tell us? Your new partnership, Real-Time Solutions. Give us the breaking news. What can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we have uh, purchased a company called Real-Time Solutions. There it is, Jimmy. Breaking news. Buyer's Edge platform purchases real-time solutions. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They uh, it's a great, great company. Also, uh, you know, a family-oriented company that um, is in uh, Minnesota. And uh, they have about uh, 50 employees that their main focus is is helping the the food service manufacturers. And so as we evolve the platform to being um, a three-sided network, meaning we want the platform to build software solutions and benefit to restaurant operators, obviously, but also food service distributors and food service manufacturers, uh, you know, like your Tyson's and, and McCain French fries, for example. And that's what Realtime uh, has focused on, you know, for, for decades now is helping these manufacturers run marketing campaigns, helping them with sampling campaigns, helping them uh, build their databases and target operators and grow their business. And they've ran two of the most successful points-based loyalty programs in the whole industry. Cool School Rewards is a uh, K through 12 uh, points-based program that almost every K through 12 school is a member of in the country. And they have one called Real Rewards Cafe, where about uh, 30,000 operators are earning points and you know um, getting merchandise back. So between the value they bring to the manufacturers we're partnering with and these operator-based uh, points programs, now we have another um, benefit to bring to operators um, in, in, in addition to our cashback uh, rebate program that I've been talking about. Um, they also can earn rewards and points for their staff and reward their employee of the month through through different purchasing and rewards. So yeah, excited about this acquisition and, and they, they've already contributed a ton to the platform. I got to tell you, awesome. Shatz, Shatz, usually I kind of make a little funny about your 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 non-breaking breaking news moments, but I got to say, I think you broke a little news there. I think we just – Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, and, I think, and what did you pay for that? Can you just tell us what you paid for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll say that. We'll say that. Uh, did I go too far, Jimmy? Did I go too far? I got a little too far. I got a little too far. I crossed the line on that one? You leapfrogged over the line. You leapfrogged. Slightly over the line. Slightly over the line. All right. Listen, Brandon takes the view uh, that the uh, the pandemic really um, changed nothing um, but accelerated everything for this industry. And I love it when we have the opportunity uh, to ask uh, a guest, where do they fall you know, within that spectrum? Um, you know, it, Buyer's Edge Platform is a wow factor with respect to what you've been able to do and accomplish over the last, really, I mean, over the last, well, it's a 25-year history, but your acceleration the last couple of years has been amazing. Can you share how you were able to grow the company while the industry, to a certain extent, was was somewhat suspended or at least on hold? Yeah. 
you know, the pandemic when it hit at the end of March was, you know, definitely the most scary and depressing event that uh, has ever happened to us in, in 25 years. Um, tons of concern for our restaurant customers, the small distributors we work with, everybody. And obviously, our company, we had just taken on a huge um, M&A uh, debt facility with Goldman Sachs. So we had a ton of concern about our ability to make our payments on our, our credit facility. So we were facing a lot of really tough choices, mainly the you know layoffs of of a significant portion of our of our team. And so, you know, the first step was me and my father, we uh, ended our our salaries. And uh, and when a few executives heard that we had done that, they came around and offered to cut uh, their salaries by 50% voluntarily. And so we were pretty uh, amazed by that um, gesture by a few key executives. We then uh, offered out to all of our team uh, a no pressure offer, but to say to our team before we announced any layoffs to say, you know, if, if anybody has the financial means to take a temporary pay cut, um, you know, to help us, you know, reduce layoffs, we would really appreciate it. And you'll be rewarded, you know, eventually when we get on the other side of this, this thing. And the, the outpouring from our team was incredible. Over 50% of our team voluntarily took a pay cut of between 15 and 50%, um, you know, for about six months. And uh, that allowed us to only have to lay off just a few kind of underperforming, uh, you know, team members. And for the rest of, of 2020, the, the team just, just stepped it up incredibly and uh i think they they knew what was at stake and they rose to the challenge and we built a tremendous amount of new software and tools to make everything that we do easier from a remote uh scenario like obviously all of our customers were all remote and not even uh, many of them not even operating or operating the restaurant and then we our sales team you know really kicked it up and we added over thirty thousand uh new restaurant locations in in 2020 and uh, and even though our volume was was about flat, a little bit down from 2020 to 2019, then in 21 last year, just we came roaring back and we're 50 percent up over pre-COVID. Uh, but it was all due to our, our team, uh, you know, really take seizing the moment and sacrificing uh, voluntarily and then overperforming tremendously to where now the company is just more than double uh, up uh, uh, pre versus pre COVID. That, that goes back to what we talked about earlier with the culture in your company. It's just unbelievable that you had people taking pay cuts to, to just to hang in there, to hang, hang in there and also protect your teammates and, and protect each other. I mean that, you know, it's an awesome story, uh, John, we appreciate uh, you sharing it with us. Um, before we move on uh, last time, last topic I want to cover is ESG. Um, one of the categories within your marketplace is quite literally trash. Um, yeah. I, I know uh, you're working on building incentives for restaurants to use and switch to more sustainable solutions. What can you share with our listeners? Yeah, so, you know, data and, and analytics is, is, is the core thing that I learned, you know, early on trying to, to, to bring restaurants together is that you got to have clean, normalized data uh, to be able to do any of the cool stuff with software and to really help operators, manufacturers, and distributors, we got to have amazingly clean, normalized data to be able to do it. And then as we've you know grown, we obviously want to give back and want to do great things as a company for the environment and and from an ESG perspective. And um, we would want we want to be able to leverage what we're really good at to be able to do that. And so um, 
one of the ideas <clears throat> that uh, we came up with is to leverage our mass amount of data, this 20 billion in, in clean, normalized data that we have in our database to find products that are probably not great for the environment and see if we can then convert those to eco-friendly, environmentally friendly uh, products. So for example, we're, we're running all sorts of analysis to look for specific operators, say buying a lot of styrofoam uh, you know, products. And we have amazing contracts with with the best manufacturers for you know eco-friendly products, and we have great pricing, and we have a rebate back on the on the environmentally friendly, eco-friendly products. But it's still going to be a little bit more money per case, uh, even with our volume-based pricing and everything. It's not going to be as cheap as as foam. But if we can, uh, so we're we're going to be building a pretty large budget. Uh, to help assist and subsidize operators to make the transition away from, say, styrofoam to an eco-friendly product by bridging that gap for them for a period of time, say, you know, six months, we'll subsidize the transition from styrofoam to, you know, an eco-friendly product using our data and analytics to find the the ideal operators with that. Um, And then hopefully, the eco products perform better for the operator. They hold the food at a, at a better temperature. They tra- source with all the delivery and everything. Um, you know, they transport better than a styrofoam container uh, on a DoorDash or an Uber Eats scenario. And sure, they ultimately will have to cover the increased costs uh, themselves. But if we can bridge it for six months, um, then uh, they will hopefully see the value and go into a little more expensive packaging that ultimately delivers a better a better experience for, you know, for their guests, especially in the takeout and delivery space. That's I think awesome. that's, um, it's a great story. And, and, and I didn't even know styrofoam was still around. I think they banned it in New York city. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Sh- uh, Shatz and I and the branded team have been leaning uh, more into ESG ourselves. Um, we, you, John, you and I've talked about some companies and I really think that the, the consumer, the guests, the customers, they are now leaning more into this. I think the timing of what you're doing is, is particularly in light of how much business has moved to off-prem um, is, is they're really taking note. And I, I think it's a big space. So well done. Uh, particularly in bridging the gap to get more people um, looking at this and embracing it. All right. Um, it turns out that while Shatz and I uh, started this podcast, because we like talking, especially uh, Shatzy here, um, we learned along the way, uh, I'm projecting Shatzy, I'm projecting. We learned along the way that our guests sometimes have questions for us. So let's kick off talking back. Uh, nothing's off the table. Uh, we'd like to invite you, John, to ask us a question or two if you'd like. Um, the microphone is yours, my friend. <clears throat> Huh. Okay. Um, so, so you guys are in the business of, of, of investing, uh, in, in companies to get a return. So from, uh, from that perspective, it's tip, you would think it's mostly a dollar and cents equation, you know, is, is you deploy a hundred, a million dollar investment and you need to get, you know, X back. And, and it's really just all about, all about the numbers and return on investment. Uh, but the main thing I've learned in the restaurant business is that relationships are are the factor that you can't put in a spreadsheet and you can't put a number to, but are extremely important. And so our, our business grows because we do a good job, you know, educating our members, but also building good relationships with them, trusted relationships. So when you guys make, you know, an investment um, and, you know, typically you want to you want to do business with people you like. And you don't want to do business with people you don't like. And that's true in sales and it's true in everything. 
I'm wondering how that really applies to uh, private equity venture investing, where it, it, it technically your 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 investors really just care about the numbers at the end of the day and the return on investment, but but the relationships with people in the industry, um, you know, are critical. So how do you guys balance, you know, you know that? It's a, it's a great question. It is a great question. I got to tell you, I know that we have a rule. We have a no asshole factor rule here at Brandon. So one thing we do <laughs> from our perspective, all kidding aside, is, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're at the end of the day, we are trying to find, as Jimmy alluded to earlier, uh, really uh, companies that are really solving problems and, and really offering solutions for hospitality and food service. That's, that is uh, is one of our primary goals in finding those companies. And then I think we also want to make sure that we enjoy working with the founder and CEO of the companies that we find. So we may find a great solution. I think it's a great investment. However, if we don't find chemistry or we don't find working with that founder and CEO uh, pleasurable, um, then, you know, that's, that's not, we're going to, we're going to pass because at the end of the day, Jimmy and I have to really enjoy, uh, what we're doing and enjoy the people we're working with because we live with these, uh, I mean, we call them partners. We're uh, not portfolio companies. We look at them as partners and we speak to our partners frequently. Uh, we sit on the board of a bunch of companies and, and we break bread and we go to the shows and we travel with, and we're with them. So we really are building a community of people that we want to be with and work with. And I think that's very important uh, to us for sure. Jimmy? Yeah, I, I think I agree with Shatsy. What I would add, John, is um, you are right. In the, Jimmy the, always adds better things. Um, well, that that that's not always the case. but, but <laughs> Always adds better things. Oh, it usually is. And this time it absolutely will be. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but to be clear, John, you're right. Um, we will be judged by our stakeholders on how we return capital and, and whether or not we are a good steward of capital. Um, and we'll be judged in our performance. What I will say is that the approach we take I believe is, and while it's very nice and it's, and it's, and it comes across as very generous to the industry, it is also, we believe the single best way to bring value to the industry, which then brings value to our stakeholders. So um, I, I subscribe to Milton Friedman's theory. It's not mine about everyone being motivated by their own self-interest. And that should not be confused with selfish. It's self-interest. When you get a group of people together and you get companies together that the self-interest is aligned, really special and great things can happen. First of all, our single investment thesis is what brings value to the operators, to the restaurateurs, the hoteliers, the stadiums and arenas, the, the airport, food courts, anywhere food and beverages sold and served, can we help them optimize margins? And we give it to them. We don't ever charge that community because we consider ourselves an ally to that group. Then when we work with companies, we're trying to focus on the product market and the fit. Does the service that they're bringing, is it gonna be an ally to that first theme thesis of will it help them optimize margins? Um, and then we do a lot of work and you, you develop a lot of software that you give to your customers. We give a lot to our community as well, to our partner companies, to the industry operators, to other investors. And the joke on Brandon, my wife always reminds me is we don't charge anyone for these things. And the truth is, and we made fun of ourselves about the marketplace, but what all of that allows us to do is reduce the risks associated with early stage investing 
and to maximize those opportunities to deliver very strong returns, all the while by bringing value to this community. So um, you, the culture we've tried to create is that we want to be more than just an investor, and we want to be recognized as really a strategic investor. Um, and the way we'll be judged is the performance, but I believe the things we do to, for the industry allows us access to more interesting and better transactions and better opportunities than others um, than others are seeing. You know, I, I know I gave a long answer but in a previous lifetime very unusual I, for you Jimmy. I, yeah it's very unusual i was on a i was i was on, <laughs> in, i was on wall street i sold securities for a living and i remember my client yelling at me about whatever whatever happened my trader faded his bid he was mad he ripped me a new one he's calling all these names and screaming and cursing at me i think he even called my mother a name and i remember <laughs> getting off the phone and being like why would I ever give him the next phone call? Why would I ever give him the anything I had that was very special to the person that just did that to me? So your mm -hmm. point, John, about trying to create a culture where you're you're working cooperatively and on, on the best terms possible, I think that's just a better way not only to live and to work, but I think it creates more value. So Shatsy, I like to say we're borrowing from Warren Buffett. We are long-term greedy. Um, mm -hmm. We think about how can we create value. And if we can create value for our partners, quoting Mr. Clyde Davey, you know what? Don't need the log. Just take some, take some of the dust. Take some of the sawdust. And that'll work. So I like it. Anyway, I thought it was a great Clifford, Clifford, Clifford. Oh, I'm sorry. Clifford. I apologize. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I apologize. Clifford, Mr. Mr. Davey, I apologize. Love the question. Mr. Davey to you, Jimmy, by the way. Yeah. I love the, love the yeah. question and apologize for the long answer. So, uh, Shatsy, I think uh, I'll, I'll – yeah, No, no, no. We've got some great stuff ahead of us. You know, listen, uh, changing gears a little bit. Uh, every week uh, we throw a poll uh, on, on LinkedIn. It's usually a fun poll about something about the food service restaurant. Uh, business. And uh, last last week, we had Mr. Tom Gordon, a founder and CEO of Slim Chickens on. He's got a couple of hundred locations, opening up a couple of hundred more, doing great stuff um, in the restaurant space. Uh, we asked we asked him, how do you prefer to get your food order? Drive through, curbside, pickup, pod or delivery. Uh, Tom said he likes drive through, loves drive through. But the winner of the poll was delivery. So, uh John, I'm going to ask you the poll question of the week. What's your favorite go-to ice cream shop? Is it Van Leeuwen? Is it Cold Stone Creamery? Is it Ben and Jerry's? Or is it Haagen-Dazs? <laughs> uh, I got to go with Haagen-Dazs. Um, All right, make a note, Haagen-Dazs. And next week, we will find out how Mr. Davey did. <laughs> I got I to gotta think Haagen-Dazs is going to win this one. Jimmy, what do you think? I'm going to go Ben and Jerry's. I'll go ben and Jerry's. I do love Hagen Dazs, and up in the uh, Adirondacks, there's a great Hagen Dazs shop that I go to. But I want to go Ben and Jerry's. Look, all right, let's see, let's see how we go. Let's see how it plays out. All right, it's time for our crystal ball moment—a chance for our guests to put on their Creskin or Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. The future, uh, John. How do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to the hospitality and uh, hospitality uh, and technology? Dining two years from now in relation to hospitality and tech. I think that uh, you saw the, the shock to the system with COVID hitting and the rapid adoption of a ton of front of the house uh, technology from the QR codes, digital menus, uh, uh, digital POSs and the toasts and olos uh, of the world doing, doing very well in capturing and, and creating efficiencies on, on the front end, uh, the front of the house. What now the current um, crisis that operators are in is in uh, supply chain and uh, in labor. Um, and so, you know, now in 25 years of doing this, 
I've just never never seen suppliers literally say, I can't take on a new customer. I don't need any new business. I can't even service the customers I have. And restaurant operators not literally just not even be able to get product, you know, in the door and sometimes even having to close because they can't get the products in the door. So that crisis is going to also lead to uh, rapid technology adoption. But the, the difference will be as you on the back of the house. So I think that um, restaurants will uh, really put a higher priority and um, value and price tag on adopting technology that will allow them, uh, you know, to run a way more efficient cafeteria, uh, kitchen, cafeteria, whatever is the running, run a way better supply chains, purchasing, sourcing, um, and, uh, you know, squeeze every efficiency out of, of what they're buying and how to utilize everything in the back of the house uh, to a higher level. Because uh, prices are probably not going to go back to where they were. Obviously, everybody, inflation, everything, everybody's paying more. And that will probably come down to a certain extent. I don't know if it's going to go back to where it was, like, say, three years ago. So they're just going to have to run a more efficient operation, less waste. And data analytics technology is going to be the solution for them to run a much more profitable uh, operation. And I think investors and operators and chefs will put a put a bigger value uh, on on tightening the controls and, the, and and adopting technology to do it in the back of the house. Couldn't couldn't agree more with that. I love it. And I got to tell you, it sounds to me like Buyer's Edge platform is positioned just perfectly to help operators uh, do this and get this done uh, because they aren't that savvy. Yeah, yeah, we've been investing in it. Uh, for a long time and we invest more and more more into it and um it, it is good to see uh uh it, it welcome it used to just be price what's your price i need a better price it's it's and now it is it is more people are looking for a bigger holistic solution uh than just uh who, who's got the cheapest price uh you're not yeah. just restaurant just just purely price shopping and building a spreadsheet to price shop is not going to not going to get operators to uh, running a long term, sustainable, very profitable restaurant. Yeah, there's always somebody that could do it for a little cheaper. At the end of the day, there's other there's other variables, uh, you know, service and things like that. And uh, and uh, lot, lots of other uh, things associated with that. Listen, uh, we're almost we're almost out of time. So I just want to get to the branded quick fire because this is the most important segment of the entire podcast. And without it, I think we would probably lose uh, half our listenership, which would be uh, Jimmy and yourself. So without further ado, let me get that. I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions. John, are you ready? I'm ready. Fireworks or fire poppers? Oh, fireworks for sure. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Uh, probably my mother-in-law. Uh, she, she's the best cook, and she's over almost every night and cooks amazing meals. Oh, I think Jimmy and I will be there. Yeah. Uh, where is your <laughs> favorite food city in the world? Boston. Boston, Mass. For sure. Jimmy, I don't think we've gotten that one yet. Hey. Got long where is your favorite place to travel? Uh, the Finger Lakes, Seneca Lake, heading off there next next Wednesday for the 4th of July. Sounds absolutely delicious. If you were to challenge Jimmy Rod to a game of eight ball, who do you have better odds of beating? Uh, equal odds of beating both of you because it's pretty much 100%. 100%. 
because uh, I'm a very good pool player. And uh, obviously, I mean, obviously, he's a ranger, Jimmy. <laughs> it's pretty much 100. percent So it's an equal equal odds because uh, it's 100. percent You're not lo- you're not losing in eight balls. Is that what you're no, saying? Definitely not. All right, I can't I can't wait to see you at our next wherever we're going to be next. If you're going to be in New York City, we'll see you in Chicago. Wherever we're going to be, we got to get to a bar and, and see John play a little pool. Now, that, 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 that that statement was made with such conviction. I ain't taking the other side of that bet. I'll just accept yeah. it. I, oh, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not betting. I just want to watch him bet someone else, and they think they're going to beat me. I want to see him play pool because there's nothing like watching a great pool player. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Listen, John, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and for sharing all your great insights. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, what you and your team do uh, to support this industry. I, I don't think we've come across uh, Shats and I a company um, of your size um, that is actually loved by its customers as much as as you guys are. I mean, really, there is such appreciation for the value that you bring. And I think you shared some of the uh, many reasons uh, why. Um, so anyway, really, congrats. And it's it's great to see you. you guys thriving um, in this environment. It's well-deserved. Um, now, if you want to get in touch with John directly, you can email the podcast team. Uh, at the I podcast. have a cell phone here, Jimmy. Yeah, we, we stopped <laughs> giving those numbers out at, at season one. We, we learned our lesson. Oh, we're not doing, we're not we doing the cell phone yeah, anymore? We don't do it anymore. Uh, but you can oh. email the podcast team at podcast at brandedstrategic.com and we'd be happy to make the introduction uh, to our listeners. Uh, we want to continue to thank you so much for tuning in with us. We know there are so many podcasts out there and uh, despite Chats and me, uh, our banter about our, 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 our you know, um, some friends of ours that listen, our, our subscriber count just continues to uh, to grow and we are we'll so appreciative. Up to a baker's dozen, Jimmy. Up to a baker's, yes, but we are so appreciative <laughs> of that. Uh, please join us next week as we welcome our friend and guest, Mr. Buck Jordan, founder and CEO of Wave Maker Labs. Talk uh, about efficiencies, right? I mean, they're, they're doing robots, flippy yes. and chippy, and yeah, flippy and chippy, <laughs> and, and, and yes, and Misa. Yep. Now, when you want to talk about the whole automation and the move to robotics, um, uh, this is the gentleman, and Wave Maker Labs are are blazing a trail. In fact, I don't even know if, uh, if Buck's going to be here. It might be a robot. It might be a. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard. I heard that may be the yes. case. It might not even be Buck. Who knows? But anyway, uh, and finally, if you haven't done so already please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we'll have coming up in the future so john again um great appreciation and thank you this is jimmy frishing your finance guy signing off and passing it back to my boy shatsy yep this is shatsy aka restaurant guy thanks john thanks everybody for listening cheers everybody thanks guys cheers and thank you